The Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio is on the air. What is At Eye Level? A reductio ad absurdum look at the headlines from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. We try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network, on Blog Talk Radio. helpfulness so <laughs> now the moment you've all been waiting for you are listening to where it's inside the gold mine tonight the podcast of the flying dead here on the Cup Online Network. I'm season of Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Lewis Paul, as we discuss the beloved, hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. So, this week, uh, the podcast of the Blind Dead, in the short-lived but much-beloved Spanish horror scene after Paul Nashi and perhaps the more internationally inclined Jesus Franco, one name stands out above all the others, Amando de Osorio. Starting off as a documentarian and veering off briefly into adult film, DeSorio is known as these shores for quirky late-night favorites Night of the Sorcerers, Fangs of the Living Dead, and Demon Witch Child. But without a doubt, his most famed creation is those zombified agents of repression, those soullessly evil enemies of the living, the Knights Templar, better known as the Blind Dead. Helming four films of fairly consistent quality and suffused with all the grim, fatalistic atmosphere the Iberian horror film is known for, DeSorio would both share actors with and lose films to the aforementioned Nashi and Franco before terminating his decade and a half in cinema after one final disappointment. So join us tonight as we delve once more into the grim world of Spanish horror and talk Amando de Osorio. So I'm Doc Savage, and with me is my uh, presumably less <laughs> having to run around in circles uh, co-host, Mr. Lewis Paul. Hello, Lewis. 
I I am here. Yeah. Running yeah, around so, circles. Yeah, that was oh, why uh, the intro music. Circle. <laughs> <laughs> that was why the intro uh, music was uh, being played for. Yeah, uh, I, I I liked Harry Chapin. I'll admit that. Um, <laughs> I ah, don't laugh. I actually like that new riff. <laughs> Is that new? No, that was actually the theme music for Moving Towards Light. Uh, and I cut it off in the middle because that was the uh, – if you notice that little area where it got quiet for a bit, that's where you would talk. Uh, and because I was uh, otherwise engaged at the moment, uh, I told my wife, you know, just go in there, hit the Edi Level uh, promo at the top of the, uh, uh, the studio basically. And I guess it ran out. And she says, well, I didn't know. I just went to the next thing. So I guess that's what the next thing was. That was nice. It's nice. I like that. So, Yes, but one of one of these time one of these days we'll have to talk about moving toward light, which we actually didn't even get to discuss when we got yes. together recently. Yeah, in well, person, we, human yes, presence. in person, in human presence, we once again got together, uh, had another wonderful evening, which we have to redo next time with guitars, and um, yeah. but we you know, yeah, we didn't get. We didn't get to talk about that, unfortunately. It just yeah, we were so planning on doing this at some point. But, you know, uh, my other co-host, Janet, the Esoteric Mom, right now, even though she has expressed interest in uh, joining us and doing it again, like we had talked about, uh, the three of us, um, she's also kind of involved in you know, just personal, like, um, getting herself in shape sort of issues. Yeah. So, uh, oh, okay. you know, right now that's her big thing. So I was like, okay, well, we'll do it. It's just... How fast? We'll, we'll see. We will discuss that. Um, yeah. So anyway. Oh, what, uh, one thing ahead. I wanted to say about Amando Di Sorio, um, he's a, it, even his name is tricky in the annals of uh, genre fandom. Because for some reason, people usually refer to Amando as Armando. Armando, yes. Trying to, yes. And when people try to find stuff on him on the internet or wherever... I can't find anything, man. It's because he, he is a Spaniard. And, and so, uh, oddly enough, it is spelled A-M-A-N-D-O, Amanda. Right. And uh, is this something I wanted to put out there? Because all those all those people out there who are like, I can't find anything. Because you're, you're looking under Armando. Uh, well, there's a hilarious thing. I mean, uh, those of you who haven't already seen my uh, the Third Eye Cinema Review of Pigs, uh, terrible movie. I always hated it. But Vinegar Syndrome did a good job of trying to restore it to the original vision, along with uh, the director's daughter, who's, in, who's the star in it. And one of the extras there, they were talking about this, and apparently the guy who did the score traded it. <laughs> he didn't get paid for the damn thing. He traded for some painting that I guess uh, the director's son or somebody had done that was intended for Fellini when Fellini did The Clowns, but because, like we're talking with the Mount of Nisorio here, uh, whoever did it had, you know, easily enough put Frederico instead of Federico Fellini. Uh, they decided that, oh, yeah, we can't send it to him now. Why? I don't know. I would have sent it to him anyway. But uh, nonetheless, it was still hanging on the guy's wall. And he's like, oh, I really like that. Can I take that? And here, I'll give you the soundtrack for it. So uh, it does come up with, uh, especially with European names. Uh, sometimes they are not the way that you are accustomed to seeing them. And you, know, you just have to pay attention. So. Uh, yeah. Actually, as far as that goes, I think it was Mark Lawrence himself who was a part-time painter. So maybe it was a Mark, a painting by Mark. Maybe it was. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he, now that's an interesting character too. You'd recognize him from uh, character roles in so many movies. Yes. And uh, this, this is a freaking odd movie. 
That's terrible. But, you know, he, he had gotten blacklisted himself, which is why he got down to the road where he had to make, like, bad well, exploitation films. <laughs> I, I, I have to – I wouldn't say it's terrible. I, I, I say it's very, very disturbing because, you know, all well, the things that, that go on in it and, and his daughter stars yeah. in it. And, you know, it doesn't like, work on so many levels. There's so many things wrong with it. But, yeah, yeah it's another story. <laughs> Not for but tonight. We're actually here tonight to talk about um Amando Amando Diosario and uh, his his uh his movies uh primarily his his uh, horror films and um well <clears throat> uh do you do you want to mention Malenka you've well, seen Malenka right yeah that please. that was actually my introduction to him originally uh just to give you a quick off uh, he actually did a film that looks like short in 1956 called The Black Flag. But after that, for like two, you know, several years, I think he did uh, documentaries and commercials and things like that. Um, in the late 70s, there's something ahead. His name did wind up on a couple of X-rated adult films, uh, you know, because the Spanish horror industry kind of petered out around 1975. As you'll see, there's a huge drop off. You know, even with people like Nashi and Franco, they kind of either go to another country or just, you know, really slow down. And where the Italian film industry kind of rebounded doing, you know, gory zombie films and cannibal films and stuff like that around the 80s, uh, the early 80s, the Spanish just kind of stopped. So some of these guys, especially once uh, Generalissimo Franco was no longer there with the, the whole repression thing, uh, rather than using this to you know, go to other avenues of exploitation or pushing the boundaries or being able to say what they wanted, they just kind of went straight into making bad pornos. Uh, and the serial was one. Um, he also worked, just to, again, jumping ahead a little bit, with two prominent actresses that were in a lot of Paul Nash's horror films during the same period, uh, Julia Solly and Helga Linné. Uh, mm-hmm. In 1980, uh, he did a uh, another just a movie called uh, the, the Cantabrians, basically. Uh, but once again, he was, like we mentioned earlier, he was replaced on the project by Paul Nashy. Uh And this kind of thing would happen to him a couple of times. He kept being up for projects, and either Nashi or Franco would wind up getting them instead because you know, maybe they were bigger names. Maybe uh, people have more confidence in them. You know, Who knows? Because this guy didn't make a lot of films. Uh, so his career was kind of one of ongoing disappointment. Uh, and, you know, he's, he kind of closed it out in 1984 with The Sea Serpent, which we'll get to eventually. And uh, that's when he basically said, you know, that's it, I'm done. And he was 66 years old at that point anyway, so it was kind of time to retire, I guess. And I understand that in his latter years, he was doing things like um, painting pictures of, like, the Knights Templar and selling them off. God knows. Uh, and, of course, now he had passed away. Once. <laughs> he passed away in 2001. Uh, so all that to lead back, you know, circle back to the beginning here. Um, so after doing, you know, the Black Flag and all these documentaries and commercials, you know, I see some funny things like School of Nurses. What the hell is that? You know, who knows? Uh, but he did the first film that everybody really knows him for, which is Fangs of the Living Dead. And people who are of or a certain vintage. Yeah. Yes, well, Malenka was the um, official title, I guess. Uh, but people who are of a certain vintage will remember this thing from things like Fright Night, you know, on Channel 9 uh, over here in New York. Uh, and it was a... I always really liked the film. I know it's got a really bad reputation that it does not deserve. Uh, I, I believe you also don't care for it. Uh, basically... Well, I, like, I like it. It's, go ahead, please. 
there, there are problems with it. Um, one being that there are several different – I hate to say there are several different cuts and edits, but I've seen different versions of it. Let's put it that way myself. Uh, and I know that there always kind of feels a little choppy, like something's missing, and you know that there's scenes laying around somewhere that were maybe used for another edit, maybe just never got off the cutting room floor. Uh, and there is kind of a mix of the same sort of thing that you would get with um, films like – uh, I want to say, what was it, Cave of the Living Dead, the one that German Yugoslav won? Uh, oh, and, yeah, yeah. Right. Or, you know, the Italian ones like, you know, Slower the Vampires, you know, that early sort of gothic sort of thing, uh, where they're in a village and, you know, everybody's kind of superstitious. Uh, you could also throw in things like, um, there was one that just came to mind. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I'm losing it. But there's a couple of films that are in this same basic uh, – somebody goes there and discovers they inherited a castle or something, and they have to go to this village of superstitious you know, idiots basically. And unfortunately, there always turns out to be some level of truth to it, and that's what goes on here. But there's a lot of comedy involved. It feels very Germanic. You, know, you think things like the horrible sexy vampire or the vampire happening or you know, even the stuff we mentioned before. I know what I was thinking of. I was thinking of another Lex Barker one that we both like, which is um what the hell do they call it? It's got twenty different titles. Uh the uh the Schlanger Grubel and the Pendulum or whatever. Um Chris Relee's oh, in it. Uh there's there's a lot of really atmospheric footage of them going through yeah, the fall. We discussed discuss it a lot because it's really good. But it's got stupid names like, you know, Cave or Castle of the Living Dead or something, but that's not really the name. It's, yeah, that's uh, one of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's got like 20 different titles. We talk about it a lot if you go back on the old podcast. But if you look up Lex Barker and Christopher Lee and Karen Dorr, you'll probably find this film. Uh, very good. Unfortunately, it's always been out in, like, you know, I hate to say gray market, but never really in a, in a nice copy. Um, but and it's, it's a, a film we never film. covered, actually, which is funny enough. Well, it never really quite falls under the umbrella of what we talk about, but it's great. It's a yeah. good Italian film with elements of like uh, – I'm sorry, a very good German film with elements of Italian German. gothic uh, and Christopher Lee in it too. So you sort of say, okay, yeah, he did some uh, German films, but that makes it feel you know a little bit hammerish. So you've got the hammer elements, you get the Italian gothic, and yet it's from Germany, and you get the German elements to it. So it's really kind of the best of all three worlds. Uh, but in this case, uh, Fangs of Living Dead has a lot of that feel, and it's got some really – it's got a nice location. I, it's like um, not just a castle, but I think it has an inn as well attached to it because I seem to remember something about an inn that she was staying at either in the beginning or later. Uh, so Anita Ekberg's in this thing, uh, and she is the titular Malenka who inherits this family castle. And, of course, there's all these mysteries going down. Typical Italian Gothic, you can go from anything like you know Black Sunday to uh, what, you know, the um, – uh, what the hell is the name of the what? Yeah, the Baba film, yeah, with Christopher Lee again. Oh, the Whip in the Body, yeah. The Whip yeah. in the Body, yes, that's the other title. Um you know, that sort of a thing. And, of course, there turns out to be a little more to it, but being almost Germanic, it's a Spanish horror film, but it's got that sort of Germanic uh, light comedy feel. And it's got the twist where it's like, oh, well, were they really whatever, or were they just kind of trying to fool her and jip her out of her money, which is very, very uh, German creamy. You know, Edgar Wallace, Mabuza, that, the whole sort of thing that they do there all the freaking time. Which, you know, in a way, it's kind of Scooby-Doo. It dispels the myth a little bit. But, no, you know. no, it's very insightful. It's very insightful. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I picked up on the same thing. I picked up mm-hmm. on the same thing. Uh, that the the very Edgar Wallace scene, 
Yes, we're inventing new words in the show. <laughs> Edgar Wallace seeing uh, uh, approach. Uh, actually, one cut of this movie, well, several actually, includes this whole prologue where she's she's in the airport before she takes the plane, and she's with her boyfriend. I forgot who he is. Who was played by? Uh, and they're looking through postcards and on a rack, one of those old-fashioned racks you would turn around, different postcards. Yep. And they're waiting for the flight. And, uh, well, she's waiting for the flight. And there's a little repartee going on there. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit of the comedy stuff that actually is missing from other versions. And it, I, I think it, it's kind of a weird movie where they weren't quite sure what they were doing with this. Uh, as far as Anita Ekberg goes, it's not like the hottie Anita Ekberg from previous films. Uh, I thought she was good in this one, and I usually don't she like her. She looked good in this one. She's a little yeah. on the edge of... Yeah, she hadn't quite gotten to the Zoftig era, like when she's doing, you know, Mountain of the Cannibal right. God, that kind of thing, But or even Killer Nun. But she's not the same girl that did La Dolce Vita either. She's kind of right in the middle. I, I think it's the sweet spot. I actually like her best around this era, but... Yeah, no, no, I, I, I liked her in this. Um, um, the... The movie, on the other hand, is is a bit of problematic because it's funny. It's one of the few films uh, where, depending on what version you see, yes, yeah, you don't. Go ahead. They they will either play it straight and dub it in a particular way where it's actually a little bit more harder edged, right. or another way where it's a little bit more lighter. And that's what I didn't want to jump over you, but that's exactly what I want to get to eventually here. Is that there's two of the cuts that I've seen. One of them is more comedy, and like you said, when that's missing, you're like, "Ah, where's the comedy parts? I kind of enjoy that. Gives more character or whatever, uh, a lighter feel." And yet, I kind of like the Fangs of the Living Dead version because it makes it like surprise they really were vampires all along at the end, and she really is victim of a family curse and that kind of thing. Uh, so it becomes more gothic than it probably was really intended to be. But, you know, of course, that's the problem. It's like, well, they don't, even to the end, even after they had edited this thing, they weren't sure how to market it. Is it a horror comedy? Is it, you know, a serious, uh, you know, almost Italian gothic? You know, what the hell is it? And they never really decided. And you've got elements of both kind of juggling in there. But go ahead. Well, and, and by far, it, uh, you know, what's the, the year we're talking about, 69, one of the things that Diosario didn't t- tap into, which he, he, of course, did later on, uh, was the sexual angle. Um, there there were many opportunities here. Oh, yeah. Um, but he he really didn't, I wouldn't say push the envelope, but he really didn't, didn't even bother skirting the edge. So and he's got some pretty starlets that you'll recognize from Spanish horror, yeah. especially like Paul Nash, you know, Diana Loris in a lot of these things, Rosanna Yanni. They were in a lot of Eurospy oh, yeah. things as well, which we'll get There's to eventually in season four. a lot of hot women in this film. Yes, that, yeah. uh, that's, that's for sure. I mean, and you know who else is in that strange? It's Paul Muller, you know, who is a Franco yeah. regular. Uh, oh, yeah. You know. Julian Ogarte, yeah, who from a lot of Nashies. I mean, Fernando Bilbao was practically a Nashie buddy. He was in, like, everything the guy did, uh, and some yeah. Francos as well. So you've got a lot of people in here and a lot of lookers, but I don't know. It's a, it's a strange mix. Me, personally, I like it, but, you know, it, know it's, again, it depends what I, cut I you like trying. it. I, I, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, was there anything else you were trying to get to in the middle of all that? <laughs> no, I, I think we both kind of got... What we're going to. 
Okay. So after this, he takes, I guess, three years. I don't know if it's a break or what. But all of a sudden, here he is with the film that really kind of kicked off the rest of his career and probably the film he is best known for, the film series certainly is not best known for, which is Tombs of the Blind Dead. Um, what's interesting about this is even among cult horror film circles and even among Spanish horror circles, there is absolutely mm. nobody of note in this film. It's completely populated with nobodies. It's amazing. I went through this list. I'm like, you serious? There's not a fucking person in here I can talk about. There wasn't nobody. So, and yet, uh, there are once again some really pretty Spanish girls in this thing. Um, there's a lot more comparatively, a lot more sex in it. Um, and yet, it has this kind of thing where. All right, first off, it's extremely, extremely atmospheric. Spanish horror. Is one thing it really gets right is the atmosphere. I mean, it's a lot. It's got the um, gothicism and evocativeness of Italian horror. Uh, it's got the day glow, you know, very in your face, you know, luridness of German creamies and German horror. Uh, and yet, it's something much darker, grimmer, and more sexy uh, at all at once. So you could be really nauseated by it or really turned on by it or just fascinated by it, but you're definitely going to pick up all this stuff. It's a little bit of Italian, it's a little bit of German, and they put it somewhere else completely. Um, some people are really put off by it. I know my wife doesn't like the grimness of it, how gory it can get, how fatalistic it can get. Um, it's almost Japanese in that respect. You know, Japanese cinema is very fatalistic as well. Um and we'll get to that eventually, too, in season four. But uh, the trick is uh, this film, the problem for me with it, even though I love it desperately, I love all the Blind Dead films, uh, and this is certainly one of the better ones. Uh, not my favorite, I'll say that, but uh, nonetheless. Um, the problem is that it's got the same thing that's going on in the 80s slasher film, where there is – and I don't know if it was intended as a comment – on you know the Franco regime uh, and the fascism that was going on there that was very conservative and repressive, or if it was agreeing with it, which is, really bothers me, um, where everybody that steps out, these girls are kind of like loose living and free, and you know they take trips to you know they jump on the plane, eh, I'll, I'll, they're on a train basically, and they're like, okay, I'll drop off here, why not? Let me sleep up for the night in the woods here. Maybe I'll meet a guy. Maybe I'll just like you know kind of ditch and then hitchhike my way back to wherever. You know, they're, they're just free living basically. They're you know footloose and fancy free, where the moment takes me kind of thing. And you know they, they take the top off and they do whatever and you know just kind of chilling out. Or you know and other people along the way, they'd be having sex with their boyfriends or you know having some drink or whatever the hell, maybe shoot some shrugs. I don't remember any drug use in it, but nonetheless, that kind of a thing. Uh, they were hippies. And every time that happens, the blind dead appear, and these forces of ancient religious repression come in oh, and mutilate them horribly. And there's no escape and no way out, and you can't get away from them. And even at the end of the movie, there's like a twist where, oh, I think I got away. Nope, there they are. Uh, you know... It's got that ugly conservative thing that the slasher film has going on in spades, and that always bothered the fuck out of me because I was always totally with these people, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks. What are you saying here? You know, what are you, my fucking grandfather? I mean, my grandfather wasn't like that, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, it's got that kind of 
annoying patriarchal conservative bullshit going down where it's like and well, not like, like, like period you know, uh, yeah um it's well, not like libertarian I, well, conservatives, like asshole conservatives, like you know Ted Cruz. You know, like, oh, whoa, 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 hold on there, buddy. You're not going to talk about my fucking well, life and body. You know, screw you. <laughs> what What are the problems I have with one of the problems I have with Diosario's Blind Dead films? Uh, it doesn't happen in all of them, but it certainly happens in this one. Uh huh. Um, is uh, rape? Yes, definitely. Um, and, and and and. and, and so you know, in in essence, we have this woman escaping from a maybe unhappy marriage or unhappy relationship, and she ends up on this train, the really cool train, you know, as opposed to the shitty but we love it so much. It's a cult movie, Horror Express kind of train. Oh, I love this that movie. Yeah. Real, yeah, yeah, but this is a real train. Yes, it is. And this train just goes on a nice, really train type thing, you know, and. And um, she ends up in the middle of nowhere. Now there's a little trust involved. Lesbians, you know, hints a lot to. Oh, and lesbianism is definitely an over. Yes. Uh, there's uh, a lot of lesbianism in here, and what I think you're getting at, and I don't want to shove your point ahead of you, but yes. that's, you're right. That's part of what I picked up on here, which is that they're being punished for basically standing up to something that's wrong. How dare yeah, you yeah. fight the forces of patriarchy? Yeah. That's the way it is, woman. Stay in your place. And that bothers yeah. the shit out of me. I'm no feminist, but I mean, it's like, what the fuck are you saying here? Screw you. You know, it makes oh, you want yeah, to go yeah, together yeah. with like torches and burn the place down. I mean, fuck you, guy. So and, and, it def- and it definitely happens in Tombs of the Blind Dead and re- and it rears its head in a later film, um, where you know we're we're actually you know we're we're actually some guys show up and you know we we don't want to like synopsize a whole picture of us no. like I absolutely feel the need to do so, but um, you know they, we got a couple of people here we're doing a standoff and and then then somebody decides well I'm gonna rape this really hot bosomy chick mm-hmm. you know uh, that really rubs me the wrong way I know coming from the impresario season. <laughs> but it's, it's it's no, it's true. I don't like that, and 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 I don't like that in general. I don't think it's entertainment. It never has entertained me. <gasps> yep, it's true. But uh, especially in this kind of genre of film, you know, we're, we're we're following pretty much the heroine is this woman. Yep. Uh, and we're we're uh, because everybody's been anglicized so much, and and. So many versions of this movie. I couldn't tell you who the beautiful blonde uh, woman is who's our, our heroine mm-hmm. by real name, unless you want to take a shot at it. I but, have no um, idea. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's really, really great-looking people in this, man, men and women. Mm-hmm. Uh, very attractive cast. Uh, but, it's it's yeah, we, we get to, a, like, a, a standoff here. Like, we're trying to protect ourselves, and then... For some reason, Diosario decided to go to this dark place. Yep. And it, it, it momentarily takes you out of the movie, out of the siege that's about to take place. Now, as far as that goes, his use of slow motion is really interesting. What do yes. you say? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, if we get past this whole thing, and remember, we're not just talking about this one scene here. This kind of recurs throughout the movie, uh, this yes. whole 
feeling of like, oh, what the fuck are you saying? Because I mean, I remember the, the scene in the uh, the mannequin factory with that creepy guy, and it, it, there's a lot of things that are just very wrong about this, and it goes further than just saying, oh, well, you know, it's the traditional Spanish culture of macho and you know whatever. No, 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 it's it's much further than that. There's something very wrong that's the undertone here, and I'm not sure whether he was, like I said, trying to make a commentary about what a shitty life it was in Spain under Franco, which, okay, I understand that, but it's pretty grim anyway, or if he was siding with it, and that bugs me. But when you get past the subtext, which is so obvious, it's like in your face, so you can't enjoy the film if this bothers you, because it's like annoying at you to like the entire running time. It's that, you know, that much in your face, that much um, surface level, you know, subtext being surface level. Um Subjects being text, I guess. Go ahead. Yeah, and I do want to make a note of the the prologue, which is missing in a lot of versions of this movie, uh, depending where from who you you've seen it. I know in the yes. the coffin shaped box set put out by I don't know whoever it was Blue Underground or yeah, Blue Underground. I can Bay. I can't remember. Ranker Bay, yeah. Um, and I actually had the prologue reinstated, which had before the blind did actually took their ghostly rampage upon the, the earth. Mm-hmm. They were in the practice of kidnapping maidens, uh, presumably busting me hot-looking red-headed ones. I know how much you like bosoms. That's true. And cutting them and sort of like semi-disemboweling them and, um, and they kind of like old rushed to her body. We're not quite sure what they're doing, whether they're drinking blood or eating entrails. And uh, so, yeah, the uncut version really restores all that, uh, which is missing from a lot of prints, actually. And do you because think also that there's a suggestion that, even though these are zombies, but do you feel like they're actually molesting, if not raping, these women as well? You know, the dead I'm talking about? Because there was like, well, I can't, like yeah. this might this seems a little strange the way they kind of caress them as well as you know not just killing them like okay I'm gonna rip you apart or eat you or whatever they they seem to be I don't know there's something off about it. Yeah. yes definitely yeah yeah that's what adds another mystery to this whole thing. Um, there's a few not many interviews and some video interviews I saw with the Osario where he doesn't answer that he doesn't even. I trust that. And, um, <laughs> you know, well, I, I think the thing was that he would have been in his 40s when he did this. Yeah. It was just probably another crazy fuck filmmaker like Franco, but, you know, not as <laughs> insane as just. And right. He had this vision, and they put it out. They actually put this movie out. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's eerie though. It still works. It's eerie. Oh, it it's cr- I love this film, despite the way we're talking about it. It's just I love it for its atmosphere. I like it for you know the, the visuals of it, things that are going on as a pure horror film. And yet this you know like I said, subtext that becomes text is disturbing as shit. So it's like a love hate thing. I'm like, well, okay, I really love this film, but. It really bothers the fuck out of me as well. So that's where we're at this and for, and for me, this is one of the earlier films I saw. Uh, me too. When I was younger, that had that fatalistic ending. You know, that kind of like, oh shit. You know? Yeah. Well, that's the think, endemic to Spanish yeah. horror. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, and, 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 um, 
it was it, it's a it's kind of a, a Pickering thing of the Osorio too. He he tends to put that in there every so often. You know, like mm-hmm. are you happy now? I'm gonna fuck with you. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, the the worst the worst ever example of that is Miracle Mile, uh, 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 an American film. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if you guys ever seen that. Uh, it's it's, uh, it's, an, uh, it's a very strange romance that turns into an apocalyptic film that turn, takes many many bizarre turns, and it's sort of like the whole thing. You know, it's like, are you are you are you happy now? Good, I'm gonna fuck with you. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and Tombs of the Blind Dead does end that way, and although it's not set up for a sequel, which is interesting enough, none of these movies are really set up for a sequel, which I wanted to make a point. Do, do you agree? Yep. Yeah. Totally. There's there's no there's no um, what do you want to say? Continuing narrative here. It's yeah. just the films did well enough that they're like, yeah, make another one, okay, and they come in with effectively a completely different story. It's not even like, okay, what happened to the Blind Dead since last time? No, no. They just come in out of the blue. It's like a completely, like almost like a different director did it and a different writer and everything else. And oh, here they are again. And they're just kind of in all these situations, which, as you'll see, get kind of varied. You know, it's not the same thing every time by any means. And you know, it's it's in a way that makes it even more effective. It's like, well, they're much more than just oh, look, here's these goofy zombies. What what's being said here? And that's why the subtext becomes so freaking disturbing. It's like. What are they really supposed to represent? Because they're popping up, you know, left, right, up, down. You know, you go to work, you go to school, you come home, you move to Texas, you move back to, you know, Connecticut, and then you move out to Italy, and there's the fucking blind dip popping up everywhere you go. So, yeah, there's something more to it than just um, the surface uh, horror movie-ness, though. Is there anything uh, else you wanted to get to on this one? No, I think we got it, yeah. All right, so from here, and again, you know, don't get us wrong. Uh, I know for myself, and I think you as well from what I'm hearing, uh, really do enjoy this film in terms of pure film and in terms of as a horror film. It was certainly one of the earliest ones of these I had seen, not one of the earliest Spanish horrors or even one of the first uh, disorial films I'd seen, but it was extremely effective. matter of fact, I saw it kind of later than the others because I saw it first on home video. Uh, as opposed to seeing like you know Night of the Sorcerers and uh, uh, Fangs of the Living Dead on television all the time, Horror of the Zombies, you know, Commander USA, uh, all of a sudden here it is uh, on video, and it was pretty well uncut. I'll, I'll give it credit for that. So you definitely got all the TNA in there, which another was another shock too. Like, oh wow, there's tits in this. <laughs> you know, especially you're like a teenage boy, like, oh cool. Uh, but you know, uh, on the other hand, the disturbing elements come out a lot more than in these other films. So. Uh, he moves on and does a couple of documentaries again. I don't know if he just had some contracts laying around or he's just like, well, let me go and try to do something else, move away from this. Uh, and then he winds up getting called back to do Return of the Blind. Uh, well, yeah, actually it's called Return of the Evil Dead, depending on which uh, version you see. Uh, that was mm-hmm. the way I saw it. But, you know, also Return of the Blind Dead. And in a lot of ways, this film is actually a lot better. It's got... You know, if you're looking for pure aesthetic, you know, you don't get this whole thing of the expansiveness of it. You know, the, the Tombs of the Blind Dead is very 
kind of cross Spain. You know, you, you kind of got the whole thing with the train and her out in the woods, and then there's that thing in the city with like with the mannequin thing, and you know, back and forth and up and down. But it's all over the damn place. It, it moves and they travel, and you know, it's not isolated to one spot. It's not as claustrophobic as the later ones become. This is the first one that gets really claustrophobic, and it kind of stay claustrophobic from here on out. Um, there's a town that is celebrating. They're actually celebrating the. I think it was when they basically killed off the Templars originally. Isn't that it? it wasn't that with the hundred year celebration yes. or something? Um, yes. And basically, there's this whole business where, and you get this a lot with Spanish horror. It reminded me a lot of Nashi uh, with. Yeah, a lot of character business, really. You know, how the sleazy workings of this town. This kind of corrupt mayor and governor. You know, the governor's in bed with his hot like girl and his maid or some shit. And uh, the governor's like a fat, sweaty guy, or vice versa. I don't remember which one was which. Oh, one was Fernando uh, Sancho. Fernando Sancho, yeah, yeah. who was popular in all the um, uh, spaghetti westerns, and he's like the fat, sweaty. I think he's the mayor. And then you've got uh, Frank Branya, who is this silver-haired guy who you would think he would be handsome, but he always kind of plays an annoying character, especially in this movie. And he he's always really kind of a jerk. <laughs> yeah, but he's really a jerk. I mean, he's kind of like the bad guy in a way. Uh, I forget what the deal was. I think they were kind of fighting over uh, a woman, honestly, uh, him and Tony Kendall. Who, Tony Kendall, by the way, who is the star of the Commissar X series, which we're uh, just finishing up uh, again when we talk to your all spot. I love those things. I always did. Not as much yeah. as 13 Days to Die, because you, know, you don't have Serge Nebray and that other guy, the big blonde German. Not Horace Frank, the, the big guy that's like a muscle man. Um, but I really do enjoy the Commissar X films. They're hilarious. <laughs> uh, and once again, you've got a muscle guy in there, and then you've got uh, – who the hell was it with, with Tony Campbell? Who was the other guy? Uh, he, he's a regular. Harris. Brad Harris. There you go. Regular from uh, Pepla. So once again, you've got a muscle man and a guy that's like got the, the quiff that's basically doing the Simon Templar bit. Uh, loads of fun, these films. Anyway, uh, so he's in this film, and he's like the good guy that says, wasn't he just supposed to be like a reporter or something? Why did he drift into town? He drifted into town and wound up trying to help them out because his old girlfriend is there or something. And Frank Brony is like her current girlfriend and trying to you know, get rid of his rival and kick him out. And then you've got the thing with the mayor, and you've got the thing with the governor, and everybody's really corrupt and fighting each other. There's all kinds of problems going down in the middle of this festival you know, that they're having. And then, surprise, surprise, just because they're doing this thing to basically thumb their noses at the Templars, fuck you, here come the Templars, and they come back to kill them all. Uh, and from the beginning of it, where it's more expansive and wild, but I mean, it's a walled city, basically, which is already kind right. of a siege type thing. It really becomes a tight siege film. I mean, we're talking about, you know, Escape from Precinct 13 kind of level of siege film, where at one point they get stuck in this church, and, you know, the one guy's like, oh, here, I think it's Frank, um, Fernando Sanchez, like, yeah, I, I got a way out, you know, got to get this special tunnel here that I dug or whatever underneath the, the church, and we'll get out that way, and of course, they go in there and get killed by the, the blind dead, and there's this really effective ending, you know, after all the siege stuff goes down, and they're all trapped in this church, whatever, because, you know, it's an evil dead, they got to be outside or whatever. And somehow, the good guys, including the little kid, of course, right, managed to get out because the sun came up. And surprise, I don't know if it was just because the centennial was over, or because the dead sleep during the day, or whatever, but they're all standing there like statues, and there's this empty city. Talk about atmospheric. There's this ghostly, empty city, 
where basically, you know, everybody had been killed off by the zombies. And there they are standing there like statues all over the place, peppering the, the outside. And they're kind of sneaking through them like, oh, my God, if, if we make a too loud a noise, are they going to wake up and kill us? It's really, really tense and effective. I really do uh, think it's a much better film than uh, Tombs of Blind Dead was. If nothing else, just for all the characterization, the fact that some people are not only uh, recognizable, so you actually care, but they're well-drawn as character types. I mean, we're not talking like, you know, it's not like a Polanski film or something, uh, but, you know, in terms of cult film, it's like, well, okay, if you get past the comic bookiness of it, they're pretty well drawn. You actually give a shit about what's going on here, and you're rooting for this guy against this one, and this guy's a jerk, and you're just laughing at him, and this girl you're worried about, and this one's like you know, the scheming slut or whatever the hell, and you actually kind of get invested in the film, and therefore, when the tension really ramps up, you're invested in this, and it really works. So I definitely enjoyed the shit out of this film. I think it's uh, – no, I won't say the best because I like one that nobody likes, but uh, it's really up there. And just in general, if you're going to point somebody at one of these films, this is the one I point them at. So what did you think? What's your take on all this? Well, no, you, you touched upon uh, several really good points, uh, some that I share. Yeah, uh, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's better than the first one, but it's a different movie. It's 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 uh, – Oh man, my brain is not working. It's like you know the Dirty Harry series. Every every yes, <laughs> every picture was different. There weren't yes. really sequels. Yeah, you know, just a pick out of my brain is not entirely working today. Every <laughs> Clint Eastwood Dirty Harry movie was different. Magnum Force was different from Dirty Harry. Sudden Impact was different, but so on and so forth. And in a way, this is like that. It's like every. Knights Templar Blind Dead film is is another entry, but it's it's serious, but it isn't. You know, yeah, they have nothing to do with each other. Right, exactly. Uh, this is a very good film. You really you nailed that the whole thing with the siege. Very well done siege stuff. Um, a point I wanted to make is is uh, Tony Kendall, real name Luciano Stella. Duh. Mm. Um, <laughs> You did Poliziotti and uh, crime movies and occasional comedies. Uh, he was also in the, the Three Fantastic Superman series. Yes. With Brad Harris. And, yes. And I think that led to the uh, Commerce RX pictures. Um, he's, he's an interesting character. He's an interesting person, I would say. Uh, probably bleeds off into his, his, his work. Um, a bit ballsy, a bit swaggerish. I like mm-hmm. him in this because he he's he's a little bit more pulled down, and and he's a, he's a little bit more brazen, and and so he's a character can actually there's still elements of that, but he's a, he's a little bit less, so he can actually say, oh, I hope this guy's a fucking hero because we need one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're right, because um, he is kind of swaggering, but he's not Commissar X level. He's not really like kind of in-your-face yeah. and jokey. This is more believable, I guess. Yeah, you know, and that's a sign of a good movie, too. And, you know, I know, guys, we talk about this is just a genre of films we're talking about. But if you actually get invested in the movie and you're enjoying it, and you got somebody who's a hero, you're like, well, I hope, I hope he's a hero, because we really need one. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you just know it's it's, it's heading toward a fatalistic ending, you know, it's, <laughs> which, is, which is a sign of Diosario's work. And there are tinges of that as it, come, as it rushes toward its climax. You, 
you know, uh, if, if you are familiar with his work, you know, and, and you might be thinking, oh, is this going to end in the same kind of manner? Which I don't want to really get into. Mm-hmm. But uh, there, there are hints of that along the way. And um, it's good. I enjoy it. It's not the best of the series. But, yeah, I would have to say I'd agree with you. It's underrated uh, for sure. So next up, he does do another detour. And he does a film that I really like a lot. There's a lot of things wrong with it, and I could see people thinking it's the least of his, let's say, his seven major films. Um, you know, not that that's all he did, but that's kind of where everybody looks at. Uh, and we'll get to the rest of them as we go, obviously. Um, but this could definitely be the least, and I could see why it was kind of hard to see. Uh, I had found it only through the gray market and wasn't ever available here on VHS, as I recall. Um, but they did put it on DVD uh, back when they were releasing all those Nashy films and a couple of Spanish horrors back when BCI Eclipse was going down. And thankful, I'm thankful for that. Uh, and you know, it's basically, in a lot of ways, it's a lot lighter of a film. It's kind of harkening back a bit to Fangs of the Living Dead because, all right, forget about the gothic elements, forget about the, you know, is it horror, is it comedy, and all that. But at the heart of that, there was kind of like a romance angle going on. I mean, it was kind of light because, you know, Anita Eckberg is not exactly what you think of, like, oh, here's someone you want to have a romance with. She's kind of cold and chilly and a little bit goofy and softig and whatever. But nonetheless, that element was sort of underplayed. It was, it was in there. Uh, it was intended, let's put it that way. Uh, here it becomes almost the the subject of the film. Uh, this guy, uh, who once again is Tony Campbell, uh, goes out to this – I forget how he got involved, but he winds up with a oh, girl's right. school. We're, we're talking about the Lorelei's Grass, correct? Yes, the Lorelei's Grass, exactly. Uh, Las Caras de las Lorelei or something, whatever the hell it was. Uh, and he winds up going out to this girl's school, and there are gorgeous girls aplenty. If there's any reason for a guy to, to watch in a disorial film, this is the one to watch just because of all the, uh, the eye candy. It's incredible. And something even better happens later, which we'll get to in a minute. So there's gorgeous girls running around sunbathing, you know, totally hot bodies and shit. They're all lads around a pool. Whatever it is, fuck this girl's school is, I want to go there. I mean, it's like, can I teach there or something, please? Uh, it's really amazing, uh, just this sheer volume of beauty. And, you know, it's uh, strutting about here and just kind of chilling. And they're not really doing it. They're not like, doing studies. So I don't know. It's just like a, almost like a summer camp for uh, 20-year-old girls or 22-year-old girls. Um, in the middle of this, there is something going on where some of them and a couple of guys are getting killed. And they're like, what the hell is going on? It's something to do with the ocean. And there's like a, a suggestion. Oh, there's seaweed. Here's some claw marks in the dirt or the sand, you know, in the wet sand. Uh, there's a suggestion of almost going into... Not humanoids from the deep or slithers, but you know that kind of territory. Like, who is there? Fishmen running around? What's, what's going on here? And all of a sudden, uh, Kendall meets this girl who, in my opinion, knocked all these other beauties out of the park, uh, which is Helga Linnae, who winds up in a lot of things. I remember her best, actually, for her Nashi role in uh, Horror Rides from the Tomb. Uh, but, before, you know. Before she did near porno for Jose Larraz. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's another one. But, you know, I like her there, too. This woman was fucking stunning. I'm sorry. I understand she was German or German and Swiss or something, but definitely, I mean, yeah, she's a redhead and she's got a nicer body, period. Uh, and, you know, her man wanted to say rock for you, but, you know, just gorgeous, gorgeous woman. 
uh, not mm. afraid to bear all. We've seen her in um, in her glory in certain cuts of uh, Horror Rides from the Tomb, among other things, and here as well. Uh, really, one of my when I was a young man, this was one of my top like, oh my god, I really want to find somebody like that. Uh, beautiful, beautiful girl. Um, and she has some connection to these murders, and it it sort of trips into fantasy, almost like. Um, uh, fairy tale story, like a Hans Christian Andersen meets Grimm, the original Grimm's fairy tales kind of a thing. Uh, you know, I don't want to get too much away, but there's a reason for that title. And, you know, the candle and her fall in love, and then there's a tragic ending, and there you go. Uh, but it all kind of, I don't want to say it ends happily, but, you know, you still got the girl's school bouncing around and all that, so it's not like as grim as his usual uh, films. And, you know, like I said, basically it revolves around a romance. You know, that's the bottom line on this. I like it a lot, but compared to his other films, I can definitely see people saying, eh, didn't work for me. So what's your take on this one? Well, you know, it's it's uh, there are similarities to the earlier Kurt, Curtis Harrington movie. Um, oh, Nighttime? Mermaid. Yes, Nighttime, with uh, the one of Walters. Yeah, but Dennis Hopper, of all people. And yeah, there are, thema- again, thematic similarities, uh, but... Um, there are some gory stuff going oh, yeah. on in this. Oh, yeah. And and, and uh, I think Tony Candle is really good in this. Uh, again, he seemed to really, I think Diosario seemed to bring out something in him. Mm-hmm. Make him work a little harder, uh, whether dubbed or undubbed. Uh, I, I, just, his performances in these pictures are pre- is pretty good. Um as opposed to the slag of wood named Jack Taylor. We'll get to you later, Jack. I like you, but come on. I love Jack wood. Taylor. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, come on. Jack, Jack doesn't know how to emote, even when he's getting a blowjob. Um, well, that's why it's perfect for a Franco film. He just stands there with his mouth hanging open and his eyes really wide, looking like, is he scared? Did he shit himself? What's going on? You don't know. getting a blowjob. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, so, uh, Tony Kettle's really good in this. Uh, Helga Lene. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, Swiss Germanic. Um, she definitely went on to later, more explicit type of movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a strange movie, though, because uh, yeah, I agree. We we really could not get a good print of this for a long time. It was the gray market area? Uh, I would say Midnight Video, perhaps, was yeah, one of the people that were really yeah, whatever happened to them. Um, one of the people that really put this out and put it out there, I think a Japanese VHS surfaced, and that was probably where that source. It was, was because there was like uh, Japanese subtitles or Korean subtitles underneath. So yeah, yeah, I think it was Japanese. Yeah, and uh, eventually a clearer version uh, appeared. So uh, as far as the movie goes, it's good. It's atmospheric. Um, I wouldn't say it's sexy. I would say there are sexual elements in it. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's romantic in a way. That's why I yep. mentioned Nighttime. Uh, um, I I like it. I, I always did. Uh, I love it. You know, like, like Lois, what are your top 200 pictures? And, you know, it may, <laughs> may be in there. But, no, I, I liked it a lot. And, and, you know, it says a lot. You know, DSRO made so many movies, but that's another good one. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
after that, he once again goes back to safer territory. I don't know if this was driven by you know, himself. It's like, okay, well, I didn't make enough money on that one. It's too strange for the public, so let me go back to what's going to make some cash. Or if it was a producer pushing him, I'll make another one of Blind Dead movies. They sell good, you know, puffing on a cigar or whatever. Uh, but nonetheless, he goes back and does another one. Most people agree this is the worst of them, which is not bad. I still like the film, but uh, I, all I remember is they used to play on Commander USA all the time, and then later on it came out on the. It was like a forerunner to cheesy flicks. Uh, that label, there was a label that put out VHSs, and it was something like the worst films ever made, or something like garbage films, or something like that. This one out as well. Uh, that's how I had the VHS of it for years. Uh, and people really harp on about a couple things, but one of them being the, as I remember from Command of the USA, and I still have that on VHS somewhere, his skit about the Vasquez brothers props, because there's these guys, and it's a special effects by the Vasquez brothers, sure enough. And at the end of this thing, the ghost galley, which we'll get to in a minute, uh, gets set on fire, and that's how they get rid of the zombies, basically. Well, unfortunately, it's kind of like a kinder surprise <laughs> sailboat, and just like put a match to it, and it's floating in obviously like a pot of water or something. Horrible, horrible special effect. And it really kind of stands out and will make you laugh, no matter how seriously you're trying to take this film. That's just going to like get to you every time. Um, I can only imagine what Desario was thinking when he saw that. Uh, I'd probably just sit out of hell and put it out anyway, hoping nobody will notice. It really is horrible and funny. But outside of that, it really it's not a terrible film. It's just all right this time around, and this is like the weirdest of the plots. It's the biggest stretch for the Blind Dead. Uh, it's a bunch of models uh, that go out. And, you know, they're all like photo models and stuff. And you know, I wouldn't even say like nudie models. It's not like you know Playboy or whatever. They're all bikini uh, models and stuff like that. I guess like calendar girls or whatever. And for some reason, they all go out on this boat. I don't know if it was a pleasure cruise or if they were heading out to an island to do a photo shoot or what. I'm getting the impression it was the latter, just you know, thinking about this. And they run into fog along the way. And once again, you know, being Spanish, there's these intimations of, oh, wait, somebody's trying to rape them. So I remember something in some warehouse, like metal walls, and one of the girls was trying to get away from a couple of sleazy guys. You know, these Spanish horror films, there's always some kind of element that's like, yeah, that rubs you the wrong way. Um... But they wind up out there on this kind of rickety um, rowboat almost, and there's a big fog that rolls in, and they have reports that, oh, wait, you know, maybe they have a horn blowing or something, but a ship's coming towards them, and they can't get it to stop, and it crashes into them, right? So they're kind of stuck, and it turns out that, okay, well, let's climb aboard this thing because we've got nothing else going on. And there's nobody up there. Of course, the sails are rotten, and it's like – it goes into Matango territory. Those of you who have seen that film, uh, the Japanese horror film uh, from Mishiro Honda, um, very much similar to that one. Uh, maybe he had seen this film. And they go on board, and eventually they discover, you know, like I think it was actually in the hold. They had like the whole satanic ritual type shit like they do because, you know, uh, the next temple were supposed to have worshipped Baphomet and all this kind of crap. Um, and, of course, the eventually, because it's uh, perpetually dark in this fog, the Knights Templar come to life, and they're all kind of trapped there on this boat, and they start killing everybody off left and right. Uh, at the end, I believe one girl gets away or whatever, but, you know, there's usually a twist ending with this shit. It's – of the night, of the Blind Dead films, it is definitely the least of them, but – 
there's stuff in here that really works. You know, it's very atmospheric. The whole thing of the fog and the, and the I mean, basically the entire time they're on the boat really works well. Uh, the girls are pretty. There's not as many of them as there were in, say, like uh, the one we just talked about, the Lorelai's Grasp. But, you know, it's it works on its own level. And Maria Pershi, again, regular in the Spanish horror thing. She's like one of the leads. Uh, and you said to mention Jack Taylor is in this. I like Jack Taylor a lot. He pops up in you know, a couple of DeSorio films. He pops up in a lot of Franco films. He pops up in some uh, Nashi films. He's just kind of like a Spanish horror regular. Um, and it's funny because he was an American guy. He actually came from here. He wasn't Spanish at all. Um, so how he got involved over there, I have no idea. It wasn't like a blacklist or anything. He was just some guy that went over there and got work, uh, probably because he could just stand there and look kind of goofy. Uh, he reminds me of kind of... A hangdog cross between Franco Nero on the good end, but more so Donald Sutherland. You know, think of like don't wow. look, don't look now. You know, don't look now. Yeah. Eric, Donald Sutherland. There you go. Um, yeah, look at that. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think that's why he got so much work over there. They said, oh, look, here we go. It's our own. Uh, he's not a big guy. He's not a hangdog or whatever. It's just like you mentioned. He's not a fantastic actor, but he's likable, and that's important. And, you know, he's kind of one of the leads in this one. There's not much else for me to say about it. I don't know. What, what do you want to say about this one? Well, well I'll, I'll, I'll continue with Jack Taylor. Uh, one thing I will say for Jack, when he very, very rarely played a, a villain or a bad guy, it didn't really work mm-hmm. because it just it wasn't his persona. Right. Um, Ghost Galleon is, a, I mentioned this before, but the first Blind Dead film uh uh, assault on on female cast members. Yeah, that yes. pops up in this picture. Yep. And you know, it's funny. When I think of this movie, uh, I like it in, in, in a bit, although it's a bit different thematically. Uh, Jean Roland's Demoniacs, Les Demoniacs, which also uh, has something to do with pirates and a ship, uh, dead people. Mm-hmm. It's a different kind of movie, but also. It was Roland's most uh, sexually aggressive movie. Yes. In terms of, of, of uh, pirates attacking women. And this movie wasn't so much the blind dead raping women. It was like the, a lot the sexual the other guys were. Well. Yeah, yeah, the other guys were. And it really made it a bit of a, a split kind of picture to enjoy because it's like you have to get through all this crap. Yep. To get to where they actually hit the ship and the blind dead come on, and then it changes. You know, of course, the guys yeah. are no longer interested in bonking the girls. They're like, okay, let's all get together because we have to defeat this unusual menace. But of course, if a bunch of blind dead Templar knights who are on a ship are attacking them, they will throw a chick in their way <laughs> as quick as yeah. they can. It, it no, actually that, does it, harken back. You made a good point there. It harkens back to the problem that I have with Tombs of the Blind Dead, except yeah. it's more claustrophobic. And uh, Jack Taylor aside, there's less likable people here. So it's like really in your face. Uh, I mean, one of them's like a producer or something, or somebody's running the fo- – he's not the photographer, but you know, he's just totally like groping the girls and being nasty. And like you said, mm-hmm. when they come for him, he just throws them in. They're like, you know, here, bait, take them. <laughs> Go kill these women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, a, yeah. There's a couple of disturbing scenes like that there where, yeah. where they would throw a chick they uh, had hot and sloppy wet sex with and just like, <laughs> oh. What the hell is this here? Take her! Yeah. While he tried to run away into the arms of an undead creature. 
and you know, it says something too on a deeper level about. I mean, going beyond the whole business that we talked about earlier, there's also intimations here of spiritual concerns, metaphysical concerns, because it's like. Well, there's intimations of karma and, you know, effectively deals with the devil, if you will, uh, because everybody thinks that by, you know, doing this and doing that, I've got special treatments. It's almost like uh, kind of what a lot of right-wingers think. Okay, different rules for me and you. No, we're all going to face the same music here, so why aren't you all together on the same side and fighting the evil as opposed to, you know, okay, I'm going to get away because I was on your side. No, and that's what happens. You know, the, the guy thinks, like, okay, well, you know, here, you take these women instead of me and I'll be safe. No, you're going to get your head ripped off and shit down your neck as well. Uh, and maybe well, worse. So it's it, well, that's in there as well. Being, being that you just brought this up, though, I'm sure it's, it's, it's probably a film that John Carpenter watched a number of I times. I can see that. I can see that. And, and 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 because uh, you know, some you touched upon something that shows up in the plot. What you just said, actually, mm-hmm. and and uh, yeah, it I would say this is like an, an antecedent of the fog in a way, in some ways. Very true, and it actually does involve a fog. So it's very that was actually a really pertinent thing you said. I bet he did see it in before writing the fog, honestly. Uh, yes, they're two very different films. They're hitting very yeah, different points. Uh, they've got a very different level of actor involved, you know. They, so we're not comparing them directly, but it's there. The ties are really they, yeah, on a certain level. It's very, very close. So I can definitely see that, and I think you're right. So, um, anything else you were trying to get to on this? No, I think, I think we tackled the ghost galleon. So now we move on to, and once again, he decides, okay, I'm not going to do another zombie film right away. Let me do The Night of the Saucers. Uh, and what's interesting is a lot of these are kind of right one after the other. You know, Banks of Living Day was 69. Tombs of the Blind Day was 72. 73, he does Return of the Evil Dead or Blind Dead, plus two documentaries. 74, he does Lorelai's Grasp and Horror of the Zombies and Night of the Saucers all in the same year. So it's like a flurry of activity here. Um, once again, he brings Jack Taylor over. This time he's uh, even more likable, of course. Um, Callie Hansa is in this damn thing, who was in uh, some really odd period Franco films of that, that time. Uh, Maria Costi, who's again, pops up in a lot of uh, Spanish horror stuff around this time. Um, and a Frenchman, Simon Andrew. I don't even know who the hell he is other than this, uh, who is like kind of the lead. And oh, no, so inter- Simon, Simon Andrew... Uh, Appeared in a lot of like Spanish kind of giallo type pictures. He okay. had that look, sort of like, um, oh, not John Richardson. Who was the other guy in Torso? The guy with the piercing eyes. He's also in the We're Coming to Get You. Ivan Razumov. Razumov, yeah. Razumov. He was kind of a more brunette, Ivan Razumov kind of type, like. Very attractive, but also he had the, these weirdly piercing eyes. That's who Simon Andrew is. And he, he would he would be like that kind of figure in a lot of Italian thrillers. So what happens here is he takes uh, you know, and some people are really uptight and politically correct, making all like, oh look, it's a colonialism thing, and you know it's racist and oh, you know, screw you guys. Uh, what it is is it's a jungle adventure with horror slash occultic elements to it. So there's a little bit of ersatz voodoo, you know, because the natives or wherever the hell they do this thing where um, girls they you know basically come through the area get attacked by these other 
almost like uh, those of you who are familiar with uh, the legends of like Bali and stuff, you know, like the Penagalon, uh, that that you know severed head of a girl that goes and eats like the babies out of like pregnant women and shit like that. Uh, you, Mystics in Bali is a good example of that if you haven't seen it. Uh, maybe someday we'll talk the H. Touch Jalil films. I love those next, but this is very similar to that because basically these two screaming ghost women in leopard skin outfits uh, and their faces are all like, you know, chalk white, but the rest of their body isn't because what happens is at some point somebody has their head cut off uh, during this voodoo ritual or whatever. And then all of a sudden they bring them back to life. And the, what's interesting about it is nine times out of ten in this movie, there's no natives there to do it. It just kind of – they've got like you know, skulls on a stick in this one area. It's like a ritual space. And all of a sudden, you know, the drums start beating. You know, who the hell's beating the drums? And then something happens, and all of a sudden this you know, girl's you know, severed head or whatever the hell sitting on a, a basically an altar, a makeshift altar comes back to life, turns around, screams, and it, it's got vampire fangs all of a sudden. And this then, almost like, I hate to say jumps onto the body, but you know the head is on the body now. You can see like the, the sever marks there. And they go around looking for more victims. Now, yes, they will kind of, like a sexy female vampire kind of thing, come onto the guys, and the guys are, ooh, they got the sexual allure, whatever, they lure them off into the woods, and they kill them. But they don't really do anything else to the guys other than just murder them. But the women always end up becoming another one of these that's self-perpetuating. What they're saying with this, if anything, I mean the subtext, I have no idea. Probably isn't saying a damn thing to be honest with you. Uh, but in terms of just a comic booky, uh, almost like those uh, Mexican, like uh, I want to call them locandinas, uh, you know, like those Mexican wrestling horror type things, like Coffin Joe was in a bunch of them, and Santo was in a bunch of them. Uh, those little comic book things they used to have back in the 60s and 70s. It's like one of those. It's very lurid. It's very silly. And yet the atmosphere is really, really nice. And you touch on the whole, I don't want to say Tarzan, but you know, like if, if you see like the Tarzan knockoffs, like Tarzana or the, the H. Ryder Haggard type knockoffs, uh, a lot of the things that were going on at that time during, uh, you know, in, in Italy, for example, uh, they would do a lot of these sort of films. And it's playing into that. You know, these people are out there. I forget why they're out there in the first place. Maybe they're studying the natives. I don't know what the hell it was. Driving around in open back jeeps, kind of like Indiana Jones. They set up some tents. You know, the girls are all kind of hot to trot. You know, the, the guys kind of want to screw them, but they don't necessarily do it. And then somebody ends up wandering off into the woods, and these girls either seduce the guys, or you know, the girls wander off and they become one of them. It, it's basically there's no plot other than what I already told you. It's just. Once again, you could say, wow, this is a horrible film. It's really stupid. Or you can just sit back and enjoy the lurid atmosphere and the sexiness of it and the silliness of it, to be honest with you. And I fall in that ladder skull. This is actually, I believe, either the first disorial film I was ever exposed to or the second after Fangs of Living Dead. I know they have played it on Night Flight several uh, – Night Flight, sorry, uh, Fright Night on Channel 9 several times back when. Um you know, I just always like this film, and I still do, and I'm very glad that, once again, B-Side had brought it over. Uh, but, you know, I could see people making arguments for it being terrible because, you know, there's no plot, and it's got elements that are stupid, if nothing else. So how about you? What's your take on this one? It's a tricky movie. It's, it's, it's got elements of so many kind of different movies we like from, you know, gosh, the list is endless. Like yeah. Sunday, et cetera, et cetera. Etc. Et Actually, uh, Night of the Devil is is which is before yeah. this, which is an Italian film. It's a That's good, true. Uh, 
Yeah, it's a good uh, good one to say. Is probably do you sorry you saw that one? Probably most of all. And to, oh, I like this. I think I might remake this. But this is a lot more entertaining um, than that one was. <laughs> yeah. Um. This um. It's it's fun. It's yeah. I don't know. How do you describe this thing? Jungle adventure, vampirism, sorcerism. Um. Voodoo rights, uh, gosh, it's got everything but urine drinking. Uh, it's, you know, it's <laughs> a weird. Yeah, it's a like weird, Mondo-esque. You're right. There's a little bit of that in there. Yeah, it's Mondo-esque. It's, it's a weird kind of jungle, vampire, zombie, maybe you could say, kind of picture. And yet, it's got a... Which is, which is, uh, I guess, attributed to Diosario and maybe, maybe a compliment to him as a filmmaker. It's got that weird feel to it. Yeah. You, you can't watch it and be bored. You just know there's something unusual and strange about it. Yeah, it's definitely uh, one of those films like you, you've never seen anything like it before, and you know you probably never will again. So you just either love it or hate it, and there, you know, it exists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's. That's, I'll go with that. Yeah. Uh, so now we move on to one that is, again, more questionable. Um, it's over here now. I think Code Red put it out as The Possessed, also known as Demon Witch Child. Those of you who remember it that way from VHS days. Fernando Sancho's in it again. Uh, Kali Hans is in it again. Maria Costi's in it again. This time he pulls Sally. over Julia Sali, who was a big in... Uh, um, uh, Nashi films around this time and a little bit later, going into the early 80s. Uh, another very pretty girl, you know, kind of like long-faced, but uh, very attractive. And I don't know what to say about this one. I saw it, I was like, actually, I didn't know it was supposed to be uh, a disorial film when I saw this. I didn't know it was supposed to be anything. I was like, okay, what kind of Euro film is this? I'm like, oh, this is strange. It feels a bit, oh, is this Mexican? No, it feels a little bit Italian-esque, but nah, something's a little different about this. It's strange. Oh, wait, it's a disorial film, so it's really supposed to be Spanish. But it's, I don't know, the feel is a little odd. It's trying to be a bit uh, exorcist-ish, uh, but as filtered through the night child, as filtered through, I don't know what the hell, uh, it's <laughs> Gonzo Land. It, I don't even know how to describe this film, to be honest with you. Basically, uh, the kid gets... Is she really possessed, or is she just crazy? I'm not really sure, even. I don't remember. Uh, oh, no, get... no. She was possessed because she's, like, fucking going nuts and spitting shit up. Yeah, and that's the problem there, too, because it's like, you know, I don't even remember it that well. And I've seen it more recently than these other ones. And yet it doesn't make that much of an impact on you. You know, it's one of those films that it's in one ear and out the other, like... Well, I guess I sort of enjoyed that. I'm sort of glad I have in the collection, but eh, whatever. You know, I can see why it was the very last Asorio film I was ever exposed to and, you know, why it was not a popular whatever. I remember seeing it in VHS stores, but even in my days where, you know, there was a one place that used to call it the House of Horror and had this cheap dot matrix printout above it, like, you know, the, the Frankenstein head from uh, Karloff and Lugosi's vampire head and whatever – uh, and we would go in there and get all kinds of shit back in those days, um, you know, in the mom and pop days. And yet I never was tempted by this one, and I could see why, because it was just like, eh, 
whatever. I mean, there's some that I passed up hundreds of times. I finally saw them on DVD and loved. Like, uh, what is that one that is the Filipino one that's all got the black magic and shit in it? Uh, the Killing of Satan. That one's fantastic. I was like, geez, I've missed all on all these years. I haven't seen this thing. It looks stupid. And it turned out it was like one of my favorites now. Uh, but it's, a hard, one, it's a hard movie to find. Even when I went to the Philippines, I was trying to find that picture. Like, looking at me like, get away, white man. <laughs> but this one here is just like, yeah, I can see why I didn't bother with it, and you know, uh, unless yeah, other than if you were the serial completist, I would avoid it too. It's just kind of yeah, whatever. Um, anything you want to say about this one? Um, well, <laughs> yeah, see, well, no, no, <laughs> seriously though, uh, there were a lot of these type of pictures around this period. Uh, uh the Chosen with uh. uh Kirk Douglas, uh, Holocaust, uh, Holocaust 2000 was it? Oh, but that's a good one. Yeah, uh, there are a lot of things. There are a lot of things. Um, the Antichrist. Yeah, Antichristo. Yes, which one. is really, really one. fucking disturbing. Um, this is even before John Borman of all people did uh, Heretic Two, uh, Heretic Exorcist Two. <laughs> oh, that's a I really like. It's odd, um, but I like it. Yeah. I like the yeah, soundtrack. Yeah. Mark Conan did a great one there. Yeah, Mark Conan did a good... Richard Burton was, like, freaking fantastic in that. Um, well, that needs revisitation. But Demon Witch Child, you know, is... Uh, or oh, they end the mini demoniata or the possessed. It it was lumped... It, it, it could be lumped into that whole possession thing. You know, like... If we were Even Nashi did one. Nashi did the Exorcism, yeah. which I got a photo signed from him on, and that yeah. was great. I usually love these films. This one's like, eh, whatever. <laughs> well, yeah, it gets, it gets, you know, like if we ever did possess numb movies, which would be like a five-hour service, so many of them. Um, it's beyond the door. Beyond the door, you know. Um, uh, Lisa and Devil's Bastard version. What was that called? Oh yeah, what the hell was that? House of Exorcism. Uh, House a of Exorcism. This was a very, very popular thing post Exorcist. Abby. Um, Abby. Yes. Yes. So you know, it's 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 a tricky thing. Is, is it is it on par above or be or? You know, it's just another one. Um, I'd say it was below. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, if you're watching it and you're unin- uninitiated to the genre, yeah, it could be disturbing for sure. Come on, I'll cut, we'll cut you some slack there, and yeah. it's weird, and uh, you won't recognize too many faces. So to to initiate that that uh, that mode of uh, comfort, you know, it's like I don't know any of these people. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it's 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 not a great movie, so yeah, it's 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 a lesser possession film for sure. We now, agree on that. A thing about the story that you might have noticed when we're going through here is that he tends to bring over two or three of his cast from film to film. So like Return of the Evil Dead, he's got Tony Kendall and uh, Loretta Tovar play the part in it, and Louis Barbu. They all show up again in Lower Lies Craft, right? So then the next mm. one, he's got Jack Taylor in it, uh, and he shows up again. That's Hard of the Zombies. shows up again in Night of the Sorcerers with Callie Hansa and Maria Costi. 
now Caliente and Maria Costi show up in uh, the Demon Witch show with Fernando Sancho, who was back in uh, Return of the Evil Dead, uh, and Julia Solly, who I've mentioned. Now, this one here, Night of the Seagulls, brings over Costa and Solly. So he's always bringing over like two people from every film, if not three. Um, so that shows that he at least had a rapport with his actors. Uh, you know, it's not like everybody said, I'm not going to work with that fucking guy again. So there is something to be said just for that alone. Like, okay, you know, not only are we appreciating these films, but the people enjoy working with him at least. And so, okay, yeah, I'll come back for another one. Why not? Uh, so here they are uh, in the, the Seagulls. Now, people are going to get that love these films are going to get upset with me because I know most people don't like it. This is my favorite of the Blind Dead films. Not in a, terms of a pure film because the Siege film, Return of the Evil Dead, is my you know the best one if you want to point somebody at it. But in terms of just put one on and relax, you know, have a glass of wine, chill out and whatever, this is the one I go to every time. I really like the whole seaside atmosphere. There's a Lovecraftian element to it because there's this whole thing about the village uh, decides that they have to sacrifice uh, their you know young virgins or whatever the hell. So they bring these like you know sixteen year old girls or whatever the hell out there to a sea god. So you think like oh it's a Cthulhu or something? What the hell is it, Dagon? Uh, and it turns out to be you know something that the blind dead are actually worshiping, uh, and they're involved with this as well because of this. And there's this couple there who is, uh, you know, Julia Sally, uh, or maybe it's Maria Costa. I can't remember which one was which. Because uh, one of them was like a villager that was sympathetic, and the other one was part of the husband and wife team with Victor Petit, who was the husband. Uh, I, I think Maria Costa was the wife. It's a pretty blonde girl. And they come into town, and you've got this element of not just like Dr. Blood's coffin, but that's sort of a. Um, let me think. Horror of the Zombies, maybe. You know, like when you get the guy that's like the rationalist doctor, maybe with his wife or girlfriend, move into the town of Hicks, and you know he he goes and butts up against superstition, uh, kind of like what goes on nowadays with people that deny global warming, things like that. <laughs> oh, it happens so much. It yeah. happens all the time. It happens in the real world, unfortunately. Um, so basically, this couple moves in, and he's supposed to be the new doctor. People are sort of afraid to go to him because, you know, whatever. And they stumble across, and you know, the town closes down at, like, you know, really quick. It's like when the sun goes down, you got to lock up your doors and go back in. Like, what the hell is this crap about? I'll make sure you do it. And this one girl comes to them, basically uh, escapes from the sacrifice because she doesn't want any part of it, obviously. Who almost get killed for this bullshit, uh, mm. for superstition, effectively. So it's, that's one of the reasons I like it. It's kind of this anti uh, – not anti-religion, but anti-superstition, anti-conservative closed-mindedness uh, message that really heavily runs through it. So it really is like, okay. I, I, I forgot the village idiot. Oh yes, there's, right. There's a village idiot or you know retard or whatever you want to call him, uh, who is yeah. Again, he's very sympathetic. Challenged. Yeah. yeah, he's he's sympathetic, and people are beating on him, and you know it's, so they're basically you know being rational and empathetic people and trying to help these people out, and because of this, you know the village turns against him. They got this wrath or whatever because they are scared of this whole superstitious bullshit. Only in this case, their superstitious bullshit turns out to have somewhat of a uh, backup, if you will, because who starts knocking on the door but the blind dead now? Because like, hey, we well, took our sacrifice, now we're going to go and kill everybody in the village or whatever, and specifically you. 
so there's a lot of the siege thing going on in their little um, seaside um, cove or whatever the hell they're living in here. Uh, you know, basically it reminds me of in that respect of uh, what was that Matei one? Uh, Hell of the Living Dead. Remember when the priest is in there in the, the school and the, the the dead come through the window and pull him out and like rip his head off kind of thing. So you got like that kind of a scene with the blind dead going through, sticking a head through the uh, the window, trying to grab Maria Costa. And he's like ah, and they're like shoving a, a dresser in front of them, trying to block them out. It gets kind of um, like Night of the Living Deadish uh, in that respect. Um, and, you know, at the end, this, I wouldn't say it's a happy ending by any means, but, you know, things kind of resolve themselves eventually. And I, maybe it's because of the subtext that I love it so much. I don't know. Maybe it's because of the atmosphere. Maybe it's because I relate to these people, uh, and how they see things versus how the villagers see things. Um, you know, I just think this is really my favorite of uh, the Sorial films per se, but certainly of the Blind Dead films. Uh, this is the one where almost like the the repression of the first film is totally fucking upended. And he's saying, okay, you know, whatever you thought about what I was saying the first time around, throw that right in the garbage because here I'm totally against these assholes and here's where it is. Y yes, there's elements that you can argue because, okay, obviously the Blind Dead are there, so they did have a reason to be scared. Uh, and you know what's really solved in the end by this, it becomes a little bit of a question mark. You get that Spanish horror territory that's always ambiguous, but it's a lot more positivist, I guess. Uh, there's a lot more uh, – in the middle of all the hopelessness, there's elements of hope. There's elements of uh, you can fight back and stop the bullshit and not just give in to it because it's inevitable. You know, It's not that fatalistic, Hobbesian whatever. Um so therefore, I really, I really always liked this film. I mean, once again, I had to find it on the gray market originally, and then eventually, I think we see I was brought that over as well, or whoever brought up that set, and uh, I'm grateful for that. But you know, a lot of people hate it. A lot of people don't think it fits because it doesn't feel like at least the first two Blind Dead films, if not all three of the ones before it. And again, maybe that's why it works. Um, it's a very different feel. It's a very different sound. It's a lot more claustrophobic in a way. I think the soundtrack is better. It works better. It's for building the the fear. Um, when I hear Cathedral, uh, Lee Dorian, who left uh, Napalm Death back when, uh, started his own Doom band. They did an album called Carnival Bazaar, and they did a lot of it was based around movies that they had seen, cult movies. And they have a song on there about the blind dead. Uh, and it actually is Night of the Seagulls, and you hear clips of it, and it just – I don't know. It works. It's a good song. It's a good reference. I really, really like this one. I'm, I'm sure I'm alone in the world in saying this is my favorite of his films and my favorite of Blind Dead films, but it's true. So there you go. Over to you. <laughs> well, no, I, I like it a lot. Um, actually, uh, it's, it's, it's a similarity to – Movies of his type. Okay, in this case, we have the doctor going to the village, you know, he's, he's transposing his whole life, his wife, his child, uh, to this village out of time. And, you know, you could trace this thing back to Baba's Kill Baby Kill, Operation Fear, you know, where the doctor comes to this village out of time. Um, there are other movies, uh, numerous ones. Um <laughs> I like this a lot, actually, because I think it really works in a way. And it's probably the the one time where 
what's more evil, the Bill? You know, it's actually a bit of a wicker. Yeah. You know, this is made after the Wicker Man. I wanted to point this out. Two years after the Wicker Man, and it's a bit of Wicker Man in here too, because yes. uh, those familiar with the Wicker Man know how that goes down. And uh, you know, they were <sighs> the townspeople are sacrificing the outsider for particular reasons. The best way I could put this without giving anything away. Yeah. And so, with Nine of the Seagulls, these townspeople, uh, while some of them are saying, no, we don't want this to happen anymore. Our children, our daughters, mm-hmm. our very comely, bosomy daughters that are right <laughs> for fucking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The whole the whole thing. Um, <laughs> Trust me, if you want to see good looking girls, check out Spanish horror. So go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. But and yet they will they will uh, obligingly give them to the the Knights Templar, ghosts, zombies, what have you. And 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 as I as I just mentioned though these these other type of movies, um. At first, the doctor doesn't really perceive, he doesn't understand what's going on. The people are belligerent, they're against him. They don't really want him there, which harkens back to Baba's Kill, Baby, Kill. They didn't really want him there. Right. And, um, um, you know, am I liking it? Yeah, in many ways I am liking it to that movie. Uh, Different film, but it shares some similarities. And um, now I mentioned the village idiot before, which you you touched on. Um, the guy the guy's hated by the village people, but you know he's not a complete idiot. He knows what's going yeah. on. He's watched. He's very sympathetic. And he, he's very sympathetic, and actually he's a little helpful at some point. He's a good guy, right? He's trying to help people out. <laughs> he's trying to help people out. Um, and yes, there's, there's a lot of fatalism until we get to the point where. Maybe for the first time in a Diosario Blind Dead film, there's light in the darkness. Yes, exactly. And, and so, yeah, I like it a lot. I like it a lot. So, certainly much better than the Ghost Galleon. Yeah. And uh, as much as Return of the Living Dead is a, a good siege action movie with, you know, Tony Kendall, our, our uh, Dick Swain hero. Um, <laughs> it. That too has an ending, which is kind of fucked up. Maybe depends what print you see. So, I would say uh, it's probably maybe the best of the series mm-hmm. because when you watch Tombs of the Blind Dead, the first one, which which I have said I liked a lot, mm-hmm. it's you watch it and then you get to the end, and you're like, ay, ay, ay. <laughs> that's the thing. No, really, come on. I have to say this for all the genre fandom people out there. There are some people who love those kind of fatalistic endings where nothing works out right, everybody dies, everything's fucked up, the world is fucked. And like, I like that. You know, like, but come on, you have to look at, there's got to be some kind of light coming out. You have to embrace the light a little bit. I think and, when I was younger, I really, really yeah. loved dystopias because I saw the world that way. And there's mm. something about when you survive into adulthood, if you will, where you mm. lose that. And 
instead of being like you know the, the typical goth not 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 gothic nowadays but the old school gothics you know were kind of like partially byronic uh, romantics and partially you know yeah. fatalistic you know gloomsters um you know you grow out of that after a while you no longer want to embrace death you no longer want to if you will fuck death you want to live because you see there's a reason to live. You found somebody, maybe you've found a reason to exist and a purpose to your life. Yes. And yes. I think that's what happens as you age and mature. That you go from this kind of disaffected. Well, I don't give a shit. I'll just hang myself because you know it's probably better to be dead than be you know whatever going through what I'm going through in life right now. My romance or whatever bullshit you think is so important. Whereas later in life, you suddenly switch around, and those same people, like myself, start clinging to life with a vengeance because now it's like, well, now I've got a reason to exist. Now I know why I'm here, more or less, or I'm finding it out daily. And therefore, you know, you get a different worldview. All of a sudden, things get a lot more optimistic. I was not this cheerful and open when I was younger by a long shot. I was very dark. Uh, I'm still very dark, but, you know, I've got uh, a brighter core, if you will, or I'm moving towards light, if you will, uh, referencing a show we did. Um, And I think that's what's going on here. So I think a younger crowd that really digs the fatalism of especially Spanish horror – uh, would be really turned off by this. Oh my God, this one sucks. And yet, somebody who's had a little bit more experience and been through a little more life, maybe has somebody that they were really attached to and cared about, you know, somebody other than themselves, uh, that they really put above themselves. Like, oh fuck, if one of us has got to go, it, it's going to be me, so I can take care of this person or this whatever it is, you know, cat, whatever it is, uh, family member. Um, you know, all of a sudden your viewpoint changes, and you will start to appreciate a film like this a fuck of a lot more than something like Tombs of the Blind Dead. So it's interesting. I was not expecting you to be on my side with this one, but yeah, we seem to be on the same page. Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. So, was there anything else you wanted to get to on this one? No, no, I think we did it. All right. So after this, he. I think this is when he did his couple of pornos because there's a couple of films in there. I don't know what Los Alemanes is. I, I think that's basically uh, The Eaters, which you know you can guess what that would be. And then he does Forbidden Passion, which I'm thinking those I, are I his. I saw that. I saw that. Did you? Are those his pornos? Am I right? Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. There you go. So uh, I guess that they work out for him. Um, not that it necessarily worked out financially or otherwise for Franco or the other people that did these things, you know, Roland or whatever. Um, but he made one last film in 1984, which was The Sea Serpent. And it's weird because he's got a really strange cast here. Now, I admit, I have never seen more than the trailer on this from the gray market days. And I was like, you know, that looks so stupid. It's not even worth pursuing. And then I just kept expecting it to come to DVD and all these years later and still hasn't. Um, but what I saw was pretty embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> Basically, he's got a cast that has Timothy Bottoms of all freaking people. Like, what? Wow, that's a really Z-grade American actor. Uh, Ray Moland, which is like, what? Um, and then he brings over some of the more typical Spanish people like Gerard Tichy and uh, Jack Taylor, plus Leon Klamowski, who was a rival Spanish horror director. We mentioned him during the uh, Nashi show, and we'll mention him again uh, when we talk Spanish horror in a week or two. Uh, so what the hell is going on here? He's got a rival Spanish horror director. He's got two regulars from Spanish horror, and then he's got a guy who has been through the glory days of Hollywood and film noir and such, and then had degenerated, I guess, into stuff like as much as I love it, things like frogs. Uh, and you know, it was probably now at the end of his life, basically in '84. 
And Timothy Bottoms? Like, really? Who, who's, who could you go lower than that? William fucking Cat? I mean, <laughs> that's pretty low. Um, and what I had seen in the trailer was probably, you, you think the Vasquez Brothers prop was bad? The world's worst claymation, like, um, brontosaurus, kind of like a, a Loch Ness monster kind of a thing. Like, oh, my God, this looks horrible. But, you know, I would still like to see it just for a laugh, and I'm disappointed that it never did come over here. But nonetheless, uh, I can't comment on other than that. So have you seen it? I, I, I have back in the VHS days. I did rent this out. And, um, well... <laughs> I'm again. I could barely remember this. There was a sea serpent, a sea monster, or some. It was basically Ray Mil- Ray Milanas, the rich white guy, the patriarch, who was trying to uh, hunt a sea serpent, and all these slumming actors were like, "Oh, well, you know, it was like, you know, basically your your pool, you know, your big pool that was subbing for the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> the effects weren't as bad as the trailer. Yeah, it was it was a time waster. It was there. It was very forgettable. Yeah. But uh, I, I want to say uh, that at some point, Paul Nashi wanted to work with the Osario very much. But Diosario was supposedly very disappointed in the re- the, the receipt the receipt from the audience of the sea serpent. I don't know what yeah. the fuck he was expecting. Um, that he really <laughs> did not want to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. And and, and Polnischi really wanted to work with Diosario. He really wanted him to revive the Blind Dead series. Mm-hmm. And. And Diosario really did not want to do that. But so, didn't Nashi do it anyway, de facto? He did. He, of all people, they they ported in John Gilling, who worked in Hammer, who who <laughs> did the Reptile and Plague of the Zombies, two very good and two very unusual Hammer films, right? To make a movie called The Cruz del Diablo, The Cross of the Devil. Yep. Which I may still have. Um, I've certainly watched it once or twice. And it stars Paul Nashi, and it does feature the blind dead in several scenes. It's a mess. <laughs> uh, already John Gilling, a British director, was already up there. And I guess maybe the Osorio gave his... Uh, and gave his blessing, and um, but it's you know for many years many people thought it was the lost blind dead film, and then when you finally saw it, yeah, Nashi's in it, yeah, oh, this other guy did it, and it, it's a mess, and it's not very good. And I should also say a caveat because you had mentioned the correct title earlier when I was talking about films that uh, had that sort of, you know, doctor and maybe girlfriend or wife go to a village and find themselves assaulted with superstition and such. And I had mentioned as one of the films, uh, what I meant to say was Plague of the Zombies because that's exactly what I meant, the Hammer film, the one of the two Cornish, uh, the, the Cornish diptych, if you will. Uh, and I okay. think I might have said Horror of the Zombies because obviously we're talking to Soria. So that's what I meant. <laughs> Just going back about 20 minutes or so. Um, so that was really it for Desorio. So you get a nice early one tonight. I know you're happy about that. Uh, anything else you wanted to close out about on him? 
before we uh, move on? No, we, we uh, yeah, I, 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 I definitely want to say that if people are not familiar with the Osorio uh, or haven't really seen the Blind Dead movies, they should check them out. They're certainly eerie. They're certainly uh, watchable. And uh, I, I, if you listen to our full podcast show, you might find something uh, enticing enough to make you want to go check them out. Um, yeah. He's... He's certainly not a uh, untalented filmmaker. He's certainly nah. a guy who had some weird shit going on, and uh, <laughs> I, I I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, I mean, in terms of pure enjoyment, I might say try Night of the Sausage is so insane. Uh, but in terms of films that I really like, I would say go for Night of the Seagulls and Return of the Blind Dead or Return of the Evil Dead, whichever way you want to title it, uh, because those two really do stand out. After that, you know, most of the other ones are decent, and we, we both like Lorelai's Grass, but it's not one to run to. Uh, you know, he didn't do that many films, but they were of interest, and it wasn't just Blind Dead films, even though he kept coming back to them. Uh, so uh, that's basically it. We will be doing – I mean, we had done Nashi obviously, pretty early on. We had done Franco. We did three – in three parts, uh, that last one being a three-hour marathon where we covered a whole lot of his career. Um, we are going to be – basically closing the chapter on Spanish horror in two weeks where we uh, touch on all the leftover directors, because there's a lot of people that did like, you know, one film, maybe two films uh, that are worth discussing at least uh, that were not like, okay, let's just talk this director because they didn't do a fuck a lot that we care about. Uh, but we will be doing a close out on Spanish horror in two weeks. But uh, next, for the next two weeks, just so you were aware, uh, because of some scheduling things, um, my co-host and I have decided to move the show to Wednesday so that you wouldn't be, you know, we wouldn't have the show off air for a couple of weeks, which, you know, one week is one thing, but, you know, two weeks is a little pushing it. Uh, don't want to lose everybody that's listening. And plus, you know, I certainly enjoy listening back to these shows. I don't know about you. My wife enjoys them. Uh, so... You know, for the next two weeks, we will be on Wednesday night. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't affect the download audience, obviously. The, all our old shows, going back to episode one, are there in perpetuity for you to enjoy on iTunes or uh, Blog Talk Radio. Uh, go ahead and check out the links to everything is on our uh, website, uh, weirdscenes1.wordpress.com. Or, of course, you know, the Facebook page if, you know, Facebook doesn't choke everything, which is uh, <laughs> facebook.com forward slash weirdscenes1. Um, but... You know, uh, we will be doing the next two on Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern, as always. Uh, and next week, of course, is week 31, where we'll be talking Full Moon Rising. Uh, Dave Dakota, Charles Band, Empire and Full Moon. Uh, kicking off his career as a lowly production assistant under Roger Corman, Dave Dakota went on to helm dozens of films for Full Moon and its offshoot Torchlight Pictures throughout the 80s and 90s before establishing his own homoerotically oriented Rapid Heart Pictures. Uh, Charles Band continued his father's theatrical tradition, enlisting his brother for soundtrack composition and establishing first his own Charles Band productions, then the even more successful Empire Pictures, and finally the label he's best known for, which is Full Moon, uh, with a history of highly entertaining films produced on a low budget, but with aesthetic values and quirky concepts that belie their financial origins. Band produced and directed over 100 films between his late 70s debut and the early millennium, and remains active in more of a niche, rather unfull moon-like market to this day. Uh, so join us as we took the rise and fall of Charles Band, Empire, and Full Moon, plus his most consistent and consistently entertaining contributor, Mr. Dave Dakota. Uh, that'll be next Wednesday. Uh, and and, and say, we promise not to discuss every title. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they'll come up in passing, but yeah, there's no way we could. It would just be too much. Uh, so, uh, 
<laughs> and you know, when it comes to stuff like Rapid Heart, yeah, I've seen the Brotherhood films and such. And I even saw the Sisterhood, the one, uh, the original one, but that's been pretty much it. So we can't go too far into that. I'm sure there are uh, some audience members that might be a lot more familiar with his stuff going forward. But uh, that's basically where it cuts off for at least for me. Yeah, where's where's David Devell when you need him? We, we should have him <laughs> on one of these things. <laughs> There you go. I mean, you know, it's a niche audience, and I'm sure there are people that really enjoy them. And Dave is a talented director for what he does. Uh, there's certainly everything I've seen from him is entertaining. Uh, it's just he starts getting. Well, there's into a couple it. things I really like, and you're going to be surprised what they are. Towards the end, starts even with Full Moon, he starts getting into you know white underwear. You know, everybody's running around in a t-shirt and you know a little like uh, tidy whities and such. No, no, before <laughs> that, of course. And... Before that, of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's kind of silly, but hey, whatever. If that's what you're into. Um, <laughs> but you know, we will be talking uh, Full Moon and to some extent uh, going into that stuff uh, next week, and then of course uh, two weeks from that uh, will also be on Wednesday, and we'll be doing the Spanish horror show that I mentioned. So, uh, anything else you wanted to say before we close out? Or no, no. We we, we hope you enjoy the show. Uh, you know, we do this for a reason. Uh, but beyond that, we enjoy it so much. We we're hoping we're educating people, letting people know about stuff they don't know about, and as well as uh, reminding people. Oh yeah, I remember that movie. Or I forgot that movie. Yeah, I mean, anytime somebody looks outside the mainstream, you know, whatever crap is stuck on Netflix this week or on the, the, the app feeds or if you're actually still paying for cable, how foolish of you. Uh, but, you know, uh, you know, whatever crap they're feeding you this week, it's kind of like saying, yeah, you know, what's on the radio? Let me listen to Britney Spears and Kenny Chaney. Oh, my God, there's so much good music out there. How can you waste your time listening to the dog shit that's being fed to you? You know, stop being force-fed and find stuff yourself. And uh, hopefully, you know, this gives you some pointers of the richness, uh, the rich vein, as we mentioned in the uh, opening credits, uh, of cult films that are out there. Just decades worth of stuff. I mean, you just stick to the 70s alone. There's hundreds and hundreds of excellent films uh, that you probably have never heard of or never seen and that you may really enjoy. So, Yeah, yeah. and the other thing is, you know, the, the st- physically going to a, a shop, it's far and few between, you know, unless it's like a, a record store or a CD shop and, and they have the DVDs or Blu-rays for sale used, most likely. Uh, it's harder harder to find stuff, you know. And, uh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I want to acknowledge at this point that Amazon is still, uh, hey, I got no I got no stock in this. <laughs> Amazon's still a good place to look. And, uh, yeah. of course, there's a... Uh, well, my co-host has so aptly named, and I actually have adopted the boutique labels. Uh, you know, you got Mondo Macabre, which actually this week have done an amazing sale that nobody caught, but I did. Um, I didn't even know about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everything was like twelve bucks. Really? So Mondo Macabre did the super secret snail sale, snail, and. Uh, and then there's Arrow, which we both have agreed on in the past. We don't knock them. We like the quality of their stuff, but they're so But their great. prices are unconscionable. They really should be arrested for the prices they charge. And sometimes <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's sort of like, is 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 the final product worth product? it? No. <laughs> yes, yes. And there's other things out there. There's a scorpion. you got to look. you got to look. Some scorpion stuff is good. Um oh, red. And uh, screen, 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 what's the other one? Screen, screen Archives. Screen Archives is recommended. 
Code red, code red is debatable. I have many, many friends, and uh, some people I write for, that uh, just forever post about the wonders of, screen, of Code Red. And uh, I don't knock these guys. I don't know them personally. I have not dealt with them. But it's like <laughs> I've seen their website and I've said. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, um, I had him on but, the show. Those of you who are interested in my hero. Oh, you have? Okay. Yep. I had uh, Bill Norton Olson on. I think it was like week two or three. It's pretty early on uh, on Third Eye Cinema. Go back in the archives. It's a hilarious interview. Um, I really like Code Red, but – more in the early days, before he moved to his own little big cartel site and just got super obnoxious and started doing things like uh, the Bill Nana sexual harassment series with uh, with uh, what's her name there, who I, who I also had on air uh, when she was doing Scorpion, uh, Katarina Waters. Um, and the quality, as the prices have gone up, because you know it used to be a lot cheaper to get his stuff. I used to get his stuff dirt cheap, actually. Uh, the quality has gone down. So I still do get a few decent things, but a lot of it's like... Yeah, whatever. And unfortunately, like you mentioned, Scorpion, they still put out a few gems, but since he started working with Kino, there's a lot more mainstreamish stuff. It's not as exciting as it used to be. Uh, you know, once in a while you get something from Synapse, but they kind of dried up. They no longer put out anything worth a damn these days. Um, they're still holding off yeah, on things they should yeah. be putting out. Yeah, and the other thing you have to point, uh, I want to point out is if you see something and it comes out, snatch your shit. Because these guys are suddenly only releasing a few hundred copies. Yeah, I don't know what's up with that. But then suddenly they're gone. Um, I believe, I don't want to say because I don't want to get into a thing because we're a podcast show, but something came out the beginning of this past week that was sold out in two days. Yes, and I think yes. it's unconscionable yeah. that you could do that. Come on. Yep. That that's just obnoxious because really you know you're, you're making an you instant collector's about, item. Right? I know exactly what you're talking about. That's just yeah, bullshit. It's, re- it's bullshit. It's ridiculous. Who the fuck are you think you're selling this stuff to? But yep. the genre fans. I'm sorry. Yep. Not only are you releasing only X amount, and you're releasing X amount at a nice price, which is a little, mm, but mm. then they're sold out. So yep. what does that mean? You're either going to reprint some without the extras, right. making the other one much more valuable in the marketplace, right? Or you're going to reprint them in a higher value. And I, 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 you know, I, I, I see a little thing going on here, which I'm not quite happy with. Yeah. Which is the, the, yeah, you know what I'm going to say, right? Yep. Go ahead. It's, it's the bilking of the fans and of the collectors. Bingo. Thank you. Yeah. And, I'm very and, pissed and off I, about I this. I hope that's not the case. When I, it's, when they were these they, boutique labels were out there, and there was more of them at one point. I remember Casa Negra and No Shame, and yeah. you know even yeah, Raro sure. who's still around. But I mean, you know, people used to be a lot busier. There used to be a lot more of these labels. Uh, you know, uh, what's the name? Media Blasters with Tokyo Shock and all that shit. The Shriek Show. Yeah. Um, a lot of these are gone or by the wayside or just kind of trickling and putting out garbage at this point, kind of like Synapse. Um, but, uh, you know, the thing was they used to be more reasonable, and they were out there for the cult film collector, whether it was in the days of, like, you know, Best Buy or whatever. You can walk in a store and find this stuff, or whether it was just online. You can get them from Amazon, deep discount, whoever the hell you go to. Uh, right. And nowadays it's becoming, like you said, this sort of 
fake collector's market where it's not for the fans. It's for can we make an artificial – You know, it's almost like um, speculators market. We have it kind of fucked up our entire yes. economy globally. And I was like, oh, okay, can we make something that's going to become an instant collector's item and that way you know, the, the 25 fans that jump on it can sell it back again for 75 bucks or something. And you know, we'll make it super rare, and then maybe someday we'll print it again. Maybe we'll just sit back and gloat like, haha, we like, fucked everybody. You know, really? What is this about here? Why are you even doing this? Well, yeah, and, exactly, and exactly. And these, and these are the same people that will go online wherever they are and bitch like, ah, oh, so the 250 copies that we sold are now on, online for $1,000. Well, fuck you. You only printed 250 copies. What do you want? Exactly. And, you know, this whole thing is just, I don't know, it's just disgusting. There's, we can go on about this for an entire show, but it, there is no reason to behave like this. It's just obnoxious. Uh, if you are going to uh, print something, just take a lesson from the book industry and the CD industry. When a company prints anywhere from, I don't know, 50 copies to like 500 or, you know, 5,000, the price for, for printing, you know, going to the printing press and physically having them do, you know, covers or whatever, you know, uh, pressing the discs or pressing the book or whatever it is, uh, is almost exactly the same per unit. And sometimes in bulk and aggregate, they're paying not much different to print, you know, a decent print run versus a tiny print run. So why the fuck are you doing a tiny print run unless you're trying to bilk people, unless you're trying to artificially create demand? And kind of like uh, somebody who we had discussed earlier, I won't name him right now, but everybody knows who it is, um, who basically tries to make all his stuff rare and, look, it's a bucket list item and all this bullshit. And he pulls it off the market, and you know, he puts it up for one day, and then you know everybody jumps on it, and then it's gone for a week or two, and then mysteriously it comes back, and then maybe six months later, all those titles that were going for crazy money on you know Amazon, eBay, wherever the hell these people are reselling it to, are now back there at not even the price that he sold them for originally, but he elevates it. He says, "Oh, look, now it's out of print. Now I can get more for it." And really, this is the way you're going to operate your business, you know? I don't know. I'm just disgusted. It's This is not the way things should be running. Uh, there are too many films out there, and we've got a lot of companies that are really wasting the fans' fucking time by reprinting mm -hmm. stuff that was already out from another fucking company. I mean, yes, because you wait like 10 years in between, there's another generation of uh, you know fans and millennials or whatever kids that are just getting into this, you know, adults are just getting into this, that they missed out on something the first time, and now they can get it. Okay, bully for them. But it's already been out. You know the demand's going to be low. Why are you wasting your time re remastering and reprinting and putting out shit that's already out there? Even some people that I think highly of that will go and pull stuff from other labels that I've already seen and hated, and then they put it out again in a nice Blu-ray print. Well, so that's nice of you, but really I hated this film before, and you haven't changed my opinion of it any. So why are you doing this? There are too many films out there that still need to come over here. You know, we're still waiting for Nashi films. We're still waiting for Franco films. We're still waiting nice. for a Desorio film. We're still waiting for Jalos. We're still waiting for, you know, Japanese cult films or stuff like Nakatsu or, or, you know, Godzilla films. There are things out there that never made it to these shores that people have been waiting for since the gray market days. And you're going to put out the 20th fucking release of, you know, Evil Dead? Screw you. You know, so. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and, and, and I've said it countless times before since we started the show uh, a little over a year ago that. Nothing is needed more than uh, the Paul Nashi titles uh, yes. to come out again. Because uh, they came out through a company that was on the verge of 
bankruptcy. They put a few titles out, then they went belly up and disappeared off the face of the earth. And those titles are huge collector's items right now. But I'm not bitching about that because, hey, you, if you were lucky enough to find it and buy it, good I, for you. I, I was, thankfully. But there's still titles they didn't get to. That's the thing. They yeah, well, there's titles they didn't get to, but those, those, those titles need to come out. There's somebody that can actually be a solvent business. You know? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, that's one thing I'm always, I mean, hit or miss. I mean, we did our Paul Nashi uh, show quite some time ago, but that's uh, yeah. it, related to this. He, he was Spanish. Um, but, yeah, if there's anything of, 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 of all this stuff, I mean, um, yeah, we need really to see Nashi titles. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much stuff out there that has not made. I mean, even I know you don't like them, but there's even Diodonald titles. Yes, I got a lot of them from overseas, but you know, not everybody has that capability. And why, you know, there's a lot of Diodonald fans here. Why have you not released these films? You know, are the licensing rights that freaking high that you know it's cheaper for you to go and buy something off of I don't know Lloyd Kaufman and re-release it for the fourth time? You know, like okay, great for you, but who cares? You know, really, who gives a shit? So yeah, that's the thing. it's funny. It's another thing you brought up. I saw recently, within the past few days, that somebody was saying that they're re-licensing uh, trauma titles from Lloyd Kaufman to come out on DVD and Blu-ray, and mm-hmm. he had already licensed bullshit prints of movies. Anyway, so you're gonna get like crappy prints of cut movies that <laughs> trauma put out. So why would you bother? I yeah, mean, it's, it's embarrassing. So, you know. But anyway, uh, you all know where we're at. We're, we're for enjoyment, and we're, right. we're here to, to just remind you, if you didn't know about stuff, hey, we're, we're, we're telling you, we're, talk, we're discussing cool stuff, and we're reminding you, hey, if you've forgotten this cool stuff out there, if you didn't know about it, we're telling you about it. There you go. And uh, so, like I said, next week, uh, join us as we talk Full Moon and Dave Dakota. And in two weeks, we'll be talking Spanish horror. And then very soon, we will be announcing season four, which we already discussed. And I've already mm-hmm. been gathering uh, background material for, so we're all set for it. And, uh, yeah, what, what did we decide on? About nine shows? I know. Uh, <laughs> I can't even remember exactly how many. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a hefty amount, but it's going to be a enticingly tasty extravaganza of stuff. Yeah, we're continuing on our road of uh, being a little bit more diverse than just sticking to our, as you could probably tell from the shows that we've done in the past, our orientation, our joint orientation towards Eurohar. Uh, and, you know, uh, hopefully some interesting stuff will arise from that. Uh, and, of course, we've got things that we had not been able to get to, uh, that we would, had done shows intending to get to, uh, that will be picked up and uh, followed up on in that season as well. So, uh Good stuff coming right around the bend. So uh, anything else you want to say before we close out? Yeah. Thank you all for listening. All right. See you next Wednesday. Start being me. Thanks for joining us tonight. We hope you enjoyed our little drawing room chat on The Blind Dead and Amanda Desorio. Uh, next week we talk Full Moon and Dave Dakota. If you'd like to contact us here, comments, suggestions, or your filmmaker or musician would like to join us on air, drop us a line at weirdscenes1.wordpress.com or our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash weirdscenes1. Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine brought to you by the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio.
50% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.